0: Wow. That's our king. He's victorious. He conquered the serpent, the devil, didn't he? Amen. Amen. It's a great story. I mean, you can't preach that. (laughs) So now that you feel like, what are you going to do now? I'm not going to use typing from the computer. I'm going to preach to you. So stand with me, if you will. Everybody rise to your feet. I want to read God's holy word to you, a section from the Gospel of Matthew. 26th chapter, starting in verse 36. Listen to the word of the Lord. And then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then He returned to His disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You can be seated. That's the reading of God's holy word this morning. Well, that's the passage that I I want to take off on. Last weekend, we were there at the upper room discourse right here in the center of the room in the last hours of the life of Jesus. We journeyed around the table. We saw what it was, and we went through that story. Today we go to closer to the cross, and here's the story here in Gethsemane. Ten years ago this month, I had the unique privilege to go to Israel. I've been wanting to go for years and uh, had waited for Donna to go with me because the kids were young, and and then things just kept hitting and hitting, and just never worked out. And finally, she just said, baby, you just go. We'll go together another time. You go. So me and a pastor friend went. It was the most unbelievable event of my life. So my word to you, let me encourage you, if you ever get an opportunity to go to the Holy Land, you ought to go. Oh, it did not make you a better Christian, but it does make you see stories a little different. I remember walking into the Garden of Gethsemane there, much like it was a couple of thousand years ago, really secluded off there with an entrance in. I remember that we celebrated Holy Communion there in the garden and looking at those big olive trees, Mount of Olives, the olive press, It was quite a feat, and every time I read this passage, I'm reminded, and I go back to where Jesus walked and what he went through. So this morning, I want you to turn to the back of your worship guide and get ready just to write some notes with me, and let's study and look at this passage and see what Jesus might say to us about how do we have passionate focus in our life. So here it is, the last hours of Jesus, the, the eve of his death, there at the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does Jesus do? He falls on his knees and he prays. And he prays a passionate and passionate prayers. There's nothing sissy or wimpy about these. I mean, these were, these were prayers that were going straight to his father. And, and, and they were powerful. And Jesus Christ was surrounded by grief on every single side. He just felt like life was caving in on him. Even though he was the son of God, the son of man, he was 100% human. He was 100% God. And he took all that in. And yet grief and sorrow, and the Bible says, and he was troubled. It was a heavy time. And I got to thinking, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like, man, life is so tough, I just want to scream. I thought of some situations. I I remember you get a bad phone call, and that, that dreaded call comes, and man, you just feel like, man, is life not going to give me a break? Is there another option? Or maybe you're at a funeral home, and you're there in the funeral home, and you're standing by a beloved friend or family member, and you just think, man, life. It's caved in. Man, life's not going to be the same. They're, they're not going to be here. You're standing by a hospital bed with a friend or a family member. I've done it so many times. And it's still just as hard today to go in and watch people hooked up to machines and they're trying to comfort them and they're drawing their last breaths. And you're saying, well, pastor, you ever get used to that? No. I'm human. I've got a heart. Or maybe it's a divorce or maybe it's depression and you, you've just drifted off into this dismal state and you're like, man, life it, it just doesn't add up. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or you get that call or you go to the doctor and they go, hey, there's no cure. You're sick. It's it's terminal. You're like, man, is the bottom going to fall out? The last service that came to me ever so real, and for me to be genuine, I, I don't think I'll cry now, but last service that just came and I, and I lost it for a few minutes. But it was about 25 years ago. Her name was Georgette. Her dad and mom wanted a boy. Can you imagine? She was an old girl. She was a little junior high in our youth group, and she was a great kid. And she was real connected as a junior high and high school. Like so many high schoolers will do, they'll go brain dead. And I have a big amen. Sorry, high schoolers, that just happens sometimes. And she, and she, and she—not all, just some—and she drifted off. And I didn't ever see her. And I got that call one night. Keith, Georgette's dead. She took her life still remember that still real to this moment so i don't know what it is i mean sometimes man just the news or bad news or something comes and you are like, man life doesn't add up life is caving in well that's what jesus felt he was god but he was human and he could sympathize with our weaknesses and our pain and he took all that in all that raw energy emotion and passion that he had for his father and for his father's world For you and me, and he took it there in the garden, and we just fly through it, and we go, yeah, the garden. I guess see many Mount of Olives, you know, whatever. Well, man, it is a whatever. It's a big moment. Overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. I think about Golgotha, Calvary, the excruciating pain that Christ would take on the cross, suffering, giving his life up. But three times in the garden, Jesus comes to the disciples. And he leaves and he's like, man, is there another option? Is there somebody else? He, he's walked with these guys. Our God, full of love and happy Jesus, we like to remember, and healing Jesus and strong Jesus and he's all that. Now he's grieving Jesus. He's overwhelmed Jesus. He's sorrowful. He's, he's left eight other disciples. He's entered in with, um, here with Peter, James, and John. He, he's entered into the zone. He's entered into the garden with them. He's thinking, certainly these guys are going to be with me. And they were with him, but they weren't with him. I mean, they were, they were sleeping. Man, they they'd been with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Man, they we're going to build a shelter and man for Elijah and for Moses and for you, Jesus. And I mean, they'd seen Jesus heal people and I mean, resurrect the dead. I mean, guys, we're talking front seat, man. They know, and they're sleeping. You know, you would certainly think the. The energy of the event, even I know they were tired. It was late in the night, and we give them a bad rap. I mean, I've been there, man. You're just so tired. And you're just like, can you handle this? Are the kids ever going to come home? I'm ready to go to sleep. Hey, is this ever going to happen? You know, whatever. And you just are so tired. Or you get a call, and you and I, I get these calls at night. Pastor, what you doing? Don't Don't ask me what I'm doing. That is a dumb question. Can I just go ahead and tell you that right now? You call me at 2 a.m. Pastor, what you doing? I was just sitting up waiting for you to call. I'm lying. I was sleeping. I understand there's pain. But but, but as you look at this, I, I remember the energy of the moment. It was just a few months ago. It was Valentine's weekend, as a matter of fact. Our son-in-law-to-be asked our daughter to marry him. And they came over in the wee hours of Sunday morning. I had just concluded study. And I just laid down. And they called with ecstatic joy. We're going to spend the rest of our life together. Yow! I'm up, man. I'm awake. Mama's awake, man. You know, that next Sunday morning, I I was just running on adrenaline. It was better than a donut. You know what I'm saying? But yet you're thinking, man, this is pretty stinking awesome God-significant moment. And they're sleeping. Don't get it, but they slept. So I want to look at six observations of Gethsemane. Number one, when you're filled with sorrow and you're overwhelmed or troubled, you tend to pray more. You just tend to pray more. Now, some people of faith and some people of not faith, they tend to call out. But some people don't. Some people get angry. They get bitter. They get resentful toward God. But most people will try to cry out for something outside of themselves. The Bible says, but whom do we have, O God, in heaven but you? And we know no one but the Father. So Jesus is overwhelmed by sorrow. He's troubled. He's engulfed. In the pain, in the passion, in the agony of the moment. And yet, he says, Hey, it's time for deep, fervent, passionate prayer. And here, the disciples, they don't pray. Why do they pray? Well, they're tired. Are they smug? Are they prideful? Are they relying on themselves? Do they feel like there's no need for me to pray? We're loyal, Jesus. We're dependable. We're your guys. We're invincible. Well, boy, that's not the invincible guys I want to go to sleep. How about you? This past week, we had a small group a study from Andy Stanley, and we talked about pivotal circumstances. Write that word down. What's your pivotal circumstance? Every one of us has different ones. And whatever you're going through, what are you choosing to do? Are you choosing to grow and rest and mature in faith? Or are you tending to go the other direction? You know, somebody said, well, I just came through a major pivotal situation in my life, or since I'm on the on the eve, on the edge of it, or some of you say, well, hey, I, I probably am going to go into one, so I better listen to this closely because it's drawing you closer. There's a, a physical and a spiritual struggle here for Jesus. And it's passionate, and it's anguish. And and number two, Jesus addresses sorrow head on, and he does it in community. On these pillars here, it says, we're on this journey, and we're doing life together. Together. It's the theme of God. It's the heart of God. It's community you know, when we named the church, I remember when we were starting the church 13 years ago, I was asking the Lord for a name. I was asking Him, I was crying out, God, what is it, what is it? And Christ's community just kept ringing. I didn't know there were so many Christ communities around the nation. You know, we didn't we didn't have internet and all that like we do today. So, I mean, it wasn't like you were just living on it. I just, I just thought, that name rings. Christ will exalt the Savior. Community. We're building a community of Christ followers. We want followers. We want to build an Acts two and A two community. I thought, man, that's it. Well, here it is. Jesus addresses community. He's got companionship with these guys, the disciples. They're they're in the garden. There ain't much companionship going on though. I mean they, they didn't do life with him. But let me tell you today we had two people over at the hospital with Amanda and Jason and Mike and Bianca. And you know what I know about our church, and I know that the same about Jeff? They're all in small groups. So if they go through a hard time or a good time or mediocre time, they've got people that are going to surround them in prayer and meals and fellowship and friendship and connection. And it's how we do church around here, folks. We don't have a Sunday school tower. We don't have a Sunday school building on purpose. We use your homes. We use your ability to pay your mortgages. And the church said, amen, use your house. Oh, we have classes here. and We have on-campus small groups. But I got to tell you, there ain't nothing like an off-campus small group is a church. Is it church? If you're in one, you know, wow. Where do you get to go spend an hour and a half, two, three hours and eat somebody else's food? And hang out and sit in their chairs and cry and weep and study scripture and break bread. And then only to do it again. It's an awesome thing to do. But here it is. I was thinking about this. I said, God, community, community. I thought it would be Ecclesiastes 4.10. Write it down. Ecclesiastes 4.10. When one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to lift them up. And there are people in this church of the hundreds of people that come to our church every weekend, there are people like, I ain't doing life with nobody else but me. Okay? You can do that. Mark it down. Dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You want me to translate that for you? Dumb. Okay. Okay. I can't believe I said that, but I hope I make some of you mad on this. Can, can, can you just feel my commitment to community? If you ask me, I talk about 33s. Three Connection, community, and change. I want to connect you with the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to bring you to a live encounter with Christ and connect every weekend. Then I want you to live in biblical community. And then I want us to bring change to our lives, to our environment, to our family, and to our world till Jesus comes again. Connection, community, change. I just gave you the vision for Christ Community Church. That's it. Hey, I'm the pastor. I'm pretty simple. I can't get much more. But here's the thing. If we do those three things right, Jesus Christ will transform our city. Let's, here it is. This thing I heard from Joyce Meyer, my Hannah, she just wrote about it the other day. I agree with her. We, we don't want to live in community, or we do want to live in community, or we want to lean on our friend, and we want to run to the phone. And I like what Joyce says. She says, don't run to the phone, but run to the throne. Somebody ought to write that down. Man, I'm running to the throne. Because I'm always trying to lean on my friend. Oh, that we need each other to lean on and do life. And when the burdens are heavy, we have somebody else to help shoulder. And it's called marriage, and it's called relationship, it's called community. That's all good. But ultimately, you got to lean on Him. So when we're weak, we need the divine resources of heaven. Let me, let me just put it this way community, uh, going to the hospital, getting married, death, promotion. I mean, if you don't live in community and you get promoted or something good happens, who are you going to tell? You're like, wow, well, I ain't not about it like that, you know. I mean, I guess you could get on Facebook, but and I, can I just tell you, I, I'm on Facebook. I've been on there since last summer, and it's really cool. But it's still superficial compared to the real thing. And the church said, thank you, because if you didn't say amen, I'm going to sit here and scream on that point for a minute. Because I'm going to tell you, we ain't going to get a Facebook into heaven and go, who made it? Wouldn't that be wild? Accepted. Denied. I ain't going to be your friend. I don't know where that came from. That just came out. I think I just came up with a whole new message series. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty cool. I amaze, I get amazed up here just like you do sometimes. Stuff, stuff hits me. Somebody write that down because I, I don't want to forget that one. You know, Jeremy, when you don't have an idea about every other month, you better write it down when you get it. Here we go. All right, here we go. So the devils always oppose Christ. In the Old Testament, we see how he opposed the ways of God. In the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh... Commanded all the Hebrew Hebrew children and the baby boys to be killed. King Herod in the time of their in the region of Bethlehem, he wanted the boys to be killed because he wanted to wipe out the Messianic age. Matter of fact, I want you to just look real quick. Look what Randy and Adam did last week. We repositioned they repositioned the flags. Doesn't that look beautiful? Yeah, you put your hands together. There's the nations that we're in right now. There it is, the U.S. right there in the center. And you see Israel right to the right of it. So so here it is, man. They're, they're in the region in Bethlehem. They're trying to wipe out the boys. And then Judas, he betrays Christ, sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. And then you go to the cross and the nails being hammered in the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. And Satan says, okay, I've won. I'm hammering defeat. He didn't realize he was hammering victory. He thought he'd won. He'd done a little jig. But let me tell you, we're, we're we're on this side right now, but hey, because of that blood being shed, we get redemption. That's the good news of the gospel. Number three, Jesus shows us that obedience sometimes is a struggle. Now, I don't know about you, but obeying sometimes is hard. You know, sometimes your parents, they tell you obey them, and you, you know, you want to obey. And you're thinking about obeying, but you do or you don't. But this is more important, even as important as that authority of mom and dad is, the Father calls us to obedience to hear His Word and be doers of His Word, and He tells us to obey, and it just struggles, and Jesus, in this passage in Gethsemane, He's surrounded by sorrow, and in Luke, I believe, twenty-two forty-four, it says that His capillaries burst, that He began to sweat drops of blood, the the, the pain, the anguish was so incredibly profound, I, and I've never been to that kind of point, I don't know anybody really that has, but it can happen, and And in Hebrews 5, 7, Jesus says he offered up petitions and prayers and tears to the one who could save him from death, his father. Now, he could have called on those legions of angels, those 72,000 angels. they They were all sitting at the gate ready for the command of Jesus to come get him. Aren't you glad they didn't? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't call on those angels? You see, you forget this. Had the angels come, our living room would be a lot different. There would be there'd be a trough here with grates. Because we'd be shedding lambs and pigeons and doves, and we we would shed and make sacrifices here in the, in the living room. And, and the odor, the stench would not be real pleasant. And we would shed blood, and the blood would run into the altar, and it'd all be the atonement for what was to come. But here's the good news. When I read in the Bible. Once and for all, Christ shed his blood. Hallelujah. One time, baby. That's all it takes. One life, one death, one resurrection. Man, God, thank you for the cross. But see, we want to go down here and we want to celebrate the resurrection, but you got to get it back up here and you got to get in the upper room. You got to go to Gethsemane and get. Overwhelmed and sorrow and painful. And then you got to go to Golgotha and you got to have the suffering on the cross. Then you got to get buried for three days. And then we'll celebrate the next part next weekend. But you know, Jesus wasn't afraid of death because Jesus said, I lay my life down that I might take it up again. You know, when dead people rise again, I listen to them. And you should too. Number four, the burden of sin is always heavy. I say that a lot of times. We go, oh, you're a preacher. You're going to say something spiritual. Well, sin is heavy. Sin is fun for a season. But it's always heavy and depressing and discouraging. And and it just takes the life out of you. And, uh, Donna used to have this um, poster on her office years ago. And it uh, had this little monster. And he had a rope all around it. And he says, man, the burden of sin is heavy. And I, every time when I think about that, I, I think about that little poster you know, 25 years ago or so. And here it is. Jesus not afraid. I like what John MacArthur said. Holiness is totally repulsed by sin. God the Father is pure and perfect and blameless, and He can't look on sin. And He is about our character being holy, and He can't look on it, so it, it nauseates Him. He, he looks away from it. He, he can't look on our sin. He loves sinners. He just despises and hates our sin. Back at 1.13 says, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and I can't look on wickedness with favor. God, you're too pure. You're too holy, Father. You you can't look on my sin. In deep sorrow here, Jesus knew He only had one. The, the companions in the garden wasn't cutting it. But He knew He looked to His solace, to His street, to His refuge. It was Abba. It was Papa. It was Father God. And yet, there's two things here He faced. I want you to write these down. Two things at the cross about the burden of sin. He knew the guilt of sin was great. See, when Jesus was agonizing over sin, he that knew no sin became sin. Christ was thinking about you and me. He was thinking about our sin addictions and our sinful behavior. And he took it on. And man, it was depressing. And it took everything out of him. And he, and he burst in pain for it. Even with blood. And the second thing was separation from the Father. The father had to turn his back on him; he couldn't look. In Isaiah, the fifty-third chapter, the third through the sixth verse, let me read it to you. You've probably read it before. If not, listen to these words that were written way before this scene of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows; yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Are you grateful this morning for the sacrifice of Jesus? And makes a way to the Father. He didn't command those angels to come. I know He's like, Father, is there any other option? Is there any other way? Not my will, but Thy will be done, Father. So He takes our sins and failures, and He takes our greed and our lying and our lust, and whatever sin it is. I mean, all those things He, he, had, to, he had to take on. He had to become sin. So we look for the, for the light of the Sunday of the resurrection. But to look for the light of resurrection, you've got to go to the blackness of Good Friday. You know, that term still bothers me. Good Friday. You see, this morning, if I said, John Mark, on Tuesday, you know, so-and-so died. Good Tuesday. You know, go, good Tuesday. I don't know, man. You're kind of sick, Pastor. I mean, good Tuesday. That was a horrible Tuesday. And we call it good Friday. Good Good Friday. The earth, the, the skies turned black. The curtain bell was torn. You see, it's Good Friday because on Friday Christ sacrificed and gave it up. But it wouldn't have been so good if we hadn't had Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? And this week on Thursday, we're going to be out there depicting because on Friday, it's the time of death. You ought to just ride by Friday. You ought to come by Thursday and see the sacrifice. You ought to come by on Friday, though, and just, just see the empty crosses. He's not there. He's buried at that point, but on Sunday... He rises. Resurrection. Uh, You know, man, I'm getting so excited. If y'all just stay a few hours and we eat for the next several days, we could just wait and we could worship on in the next Easter. Wouldn't that be wild? I can't even imagine how many meals we'd have to feed one another to stay the next Sunday. That would create a stir. Christ's community started celebrating Holy Week on Sunday. They will leave next Sunday. Yeah. Okay, just a thought. Number five. Prayerlessness always brings discouragement. Without prayer... Any relationship with God is impoverished because vital communication is lost. Three times here in the wilderness, uh, Jesus was attacked by Satan, wasn't he? And three times here, the opposition toward the, the work and the life of Christ and torment, but he's resolved that he will give his life away. Reasons for prayerlessness. Number one, quickly, unbelief. If you don't believe, you don't pray. I mean, you know, you just you just go, well, you know, there's not much. Psalm 14, one through four is a great passage but let me just tell you this quickly. Barry Jones, is he in here? Barry is. Uh, I saw somebody move their hand. Barry, is he in here now? There he is, Barry. Barry's been sensing God's calling in his life, and he has spoken. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey him. I'm, I'm just going to say yes. And he shared that with the me men the other day. It was a powerful testimony. Because Let me tell you, guys, in the morning, 645, all you men ought to be here. Because let me tell you, we used to do teaching and prayer and another prayer. Now we still we do testimony and we do prayer times. This is amazing. Matter of fact, I've seen God do some awesome things, you know, trying to reconcile a marriage. I saw a man getting called. We've been praying for healing. Matter of fact, Mark, where you at? Stand up, Mark. This is an awesome story. See this big guy right here? Just stand. Stand tall for me, brother. Just stand. I want everybody to get a good look at you. Big, thick guy. You Plays bass for us. Loves Jesus. Travels in the Ryan John band. Married to Molly. That's your claim of fame. Okay, here we go. And uh, you know what? He, he's got this cyst in his back, and he had something done to it, and it came back, and it got big. And they want to cut all this muscle. And they want to rip in him and have surgery. And Mark is a smart man. Mark says, I want prayer. So a few weeks ago on a Monday, in this room, we knelt down. We anointed with oil. And we prayed. And we believed God to heal him. He went to the doctor on Thursday. And that thing that was massive, how big is it now, Mark? Give Jesus praise. Jesus healed it. not that awesome? Y'all come to kind of prayer meeting. You're like, Man, that kind of stuff happens? Yeah, you ever read Acts? You know, Jesus is serious about this stuff. See, my Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I believe it. I believe he still heals. My neck, Mark, I didn't get to go through what you went through twice. Jesus healed me. I don't understand it. He's healing Mark through uh, physical medicine. Mark's like, I like yours better. I do too, Mark. But but God is in the miracle business. So unbelief, man, it it keeps you from praying. Secondly, self-reliance. When you get full of yourself, you think you can do it. You don't need God. i got a verse i would never seen before. Jeremiah 17.5. This is what God thinks about it. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on the flesh for his strength and for whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, in the flesh. Y'all, that's pretty simple, isn't it? God's serious about looking to him, trusting completely in him and his power. And and when we don't, we open the door to temptation. And he says, here, pray. Third thing is guilt is always a result of disobedience. You just say, well, I'm loaded down with guilt. When you get loaded down with guilt, you just get paralyzed. I mean, there's no victory in that. The fourth thing is tiredness. After midnight here, of course, they needed to sleep. That was a natural thing to do. And when we're tired, we tend not to pray. How many times has the Father woken you up to pray? I've, I hear that story so many times. Keith, I woke up at 2. I woke up at 3 o'clock. I started praying for this situation. I started praying for you. I started praying for our church. I started praying for that mission team. I I prayed for that teenager. And then we get reports back. What time did that exactly happen? At 2.30? At 2.15? At 4 a.m.? Who do you think is orchestrating this stuff? God is hearing us. He's crying out to us. He's calling us to pray, even when we're so tired. And I want to give you a word, because I believe this. We like sleep, all of us. But sleep is always, or can be, a means of escape. I know a lot of people, they just escape, so they take drugs or alcohol or whatever, because they just don't want to feel the pain. The only thing is, when you wake up, the pain's still there. You know what I'm saying? And God wants us to go to Him and get whole, and get healed, and, and get it right. And the fifth thing is discord in relationships. When you've got, uh, and the one I want to give you is 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same ways, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. See, if you're in, un, uh, you're in disharmony, you're in discord with your mate, your prayers ain't getting off the ground. If you're in discord with one another as the body of Christ and with other people, your prayers don't get heard. You've got sin blocking your relationship with the Father. And he wants to get it right. He says, hey, get it. And then the sixth point is this. Obedience is following God no matter what, even when you want something else. Oh, All the time I hear people, hey, I want this, but I feel like God's calling me to do this. You know what road I want you to take? You know what road God wants you to take? Where he calls you to go. I hear this all the time. Pastor, I hear you talking about that tithing thing, and I've been reading it in the Bible, but, I, man, you know, it, it'll mess up my driving habits. It'll mess up my vacation. It'll mess up this and that. I said, yeah, it will. It will also bring blessing to your life because you're obeying the Heavenly Father. Amen? See, the, the tithe is here. This is non-negotiable. It's like spending time with the Father. He calls us to have a relationship and we're out of tithe. You know what's happening right now in our church? There are some new people beginning to tithe because they believe God now for His Word because He has shown Himself faithful and they're trusting Him and they're going to walk in victory. And there's others, they think, oh, I'm going to do it myself. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What did Jeremiah say? Trust in man, trust in your flesh, curse it are you. I want to be blessed of God. I want to submit our will to His. When we get lured, when we get tipped by the devil, we want to say, God, I want to draw to you. In single-minded determination, I'll draw near to Papa. Abba, I'll pull into you. So here's my question today. Are you struggling to obey God? You're saying, well, you know, if I'm honest, uh, I am in this area or that area. Has God spoken to you recently about an area that He wants you to obey in Him? Maybe to share your faith? Maybe to give something to him away? Maybe to do this or that? I, I don't Just feel in the blank. Has God called you to step out and do something? Has He called Barry and Rachel out to do that? And they said, Father, I've got to follow you in this? I don't know what it is, but God is speaking. And will we trust and obey Him? Ben, y'all can come forward because we bump into all kinds of things. We, maybe it's in our marriage. Let me just tell you this you're married, it is God's will that you be married till death do us part, and the church said. So you know what? You want to bump into obedience, obey God in that. It's a job, a help, overwhelm, a decision. And the, and the last thing to feeling in is, do you want God's will? Just write it in the blank. Do you want God's will? See, if you want God's will, you trust and you obey, you trust and you follow Him. You say, Lord, I'm going after you. So this morning I've asked the band to do a song that God and I sang for decades I love it because the music's been redone, and this band does an amazing job. And it's the old hymn, Trust and Obey. It's a great song. It's a song of hope. It's a song of my declaration is, I trust you, Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask everybody to rise to your feet right now. And we're going to sing this with the worship team as Adam leads us. And trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Right now, over there at the cross, it's opened up. And somebody might need to obey God, and He's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to a commitment of prayer. He's calling you to something in your life. This altar's open, the cross is open. During this song, worship, move, but don't leave the room. Encounter the one that was risen for us.